you know, I mean, my take on spirituality and consciousness and kind of how I relate to it is like, you know, this physical experience. And this is something that my, my dad taught me actually, is that the physical experience is the most spiritual thing that you can embody in this lifetime. It's not more spiritual to, um, be a hippie or think certain ways or astral travel all the time. It's, it's just as spiritual to be physically embodied and fully embodied mm. in the three dimensional realm of time and space because we're here now. Yeah. And, um, you know, that really kind of evolved my, my process and it made me see that, uh, the mundane, the daily life is actually just a playground for spiritual practices and that I don't have to live through spiritual practices only in order to feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose. Right. That was Aaron Douglas. I am your host, Michael Dunphy, and this is the Further Liberation Podcast. Aaron and I got together a few weeks ago and had a chat, which was essentially him interviewing me. So I never really got the chance to get to know him very well. So I decided that this week we would get together again and I would ask him some questions and put him in the hot seat. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Further Liberation Podcast. All right, man. Well, welcome. Okay. This is you're on my show now. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Yeah. It's so good to see you. Likewise. So I basically want to start by uh, just getting to know you a little better. I know the first time we spoke, you told me some things about uh, your quote unquote journey and how you got to where you are. But, you know, I would just like to hear more about that in general. Um, just like what's your your history, your what got you interested in like consciousness or spirituality or whatever. And um, yeah, what's it like to be Aaron Douglas? Cool. Um you know, what, what got me interested in consciousness and spirituality? Nothing in particular. Like there wasn't like a moment where it was like, now I'm awake. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people will talk about their transition to waking up. Mm -hmm. um, mine, I think was a lot more gradual. So I grew up in a family with, with awareness. So mm -hmm. I, you know, you're eating organic as far as I can as, as, as far back as I can remember, um, right. you know, for example, I mean, I wasn't like vaccinated as a kid. I wasn't given, I wasn't taken to the doctor to, to be diagnosed for things. Um, everything was kind of dealt with at home and, you know, that just wasn't really on my radar. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess I grew up in a, uh, a natural way, um, which is becoming more and more common and less mm -hmm. taboo, less yeah. scary. Um, and then, you know, from there, about around 10 years old, there, there began the discussion of um, politics, but not in the sense of like political discussion, but rather that's politics. That person is lying right now. Here's what's really, <laughs> here's what's really going on. And um, from that point forward, I started to view the external reality as... Um, as fake in a way, a lot of a deception. charade, a charade. Exactly. Mm -hmm. you know, and that wasn't something I could tell my friends. I learned that pretty quickly. Right. Being ridiculed for telling them the, the truth, which now I'm sure they understand is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, and so just growing up in a household where there was awareness of what it means to live naturally. Um, and also that there's weird things going on in the world. I think that that set the stage for what it, for what I would evolve into, which is doing my own research and kind of just understanding that like things aren't what they seem, mm-hmm. you know? And so, because I was, I was going to school as a kid with my food and like at lunch and, and my friends would think it's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually just real food and they were eating um, strange things like processed stuff, processed um, uh, synthetic ingredients mm-hmm. involved. And it's just, you know, so there was always kind of this like, Whoa, I'm not the same as the world. Right. Um, <laughs> so that made it really easy to eventually accept that. And then just kind of look at everything like, wow, I don't know if what I'm seeing is true. And therefore I'm going to do, um, my own research and my own inquiry. And of course, when you do your own research and your own inquiry, well, at least for me, that, that also involves self-inquiry because mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm like, am I different than this world? Am I an alien? Am I from this place? Cause they don't seem to be making any sense. I just want to live what I think is normal and the rest of the world, or a lot, at least a lot of it doesn't want to live that way, but that's a, that, that's a painful experience. So I have to then go inside and say, you know, who am I? What am I? Am I of this place? And what should I think and feel from this point forward? And so, um, you know, I mean, my take on spirituality and consciousness and kind of how I relate to it is like, you know, this physical experience. And this is something that my, my dad taught me actually, is that the physical experience is the most spiritual thing that you can embody in this lifetime. Mm. It's not more spiritual to um, be a hippie or think certain ways or astral travel all the time. It's, it's just as spiritual to be physically embodied and fully embodied Mm. in the three dimensional realm um, of time and space because we're here now. Yeah. And, um, you know, that really kind of evolved my, my process and it made me see that, uh, the mundane, the daily life is actually just a playground for spiritual practices and that I don't have to live through spiritual practices only in order to feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose. Right. Um, so, you know, at this point I really like practical spirituality Mm -hmm. and using conscious awareness to look at, well, how can I take my daily life and make it something that feels spiritual? Even if all I'm doing is, you know, cooking and cleaning and working and Mm. spending time with people. And because what else are you supposed to do? You're human, right? Right. Exactly. And so, but how can I do that? And how can we all do that in a way that we feel like we're like blissed out in the spiritual world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, I can't imagine growing up with those ideals in your household. It's so foreign to me. That must've been such a crazy experience. <laughs> you know, I thought it was normal for a yeah, long time. I guess you would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, do your parents like ascribe to any particular ideology or religion or anything like that? Uh, no, no. Um, I wasn't raised with any in particular and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know, I'm going to say yes. And what that is, is like being a virtuous human being. Okay. You know, um, doing the right thing and being an honest person with integrity Mm -hmm. that, 
You yeah. know, if that were mm-hmm. to be a religion, which really yeah. is just kind of like human decency and, and everything. Yeah. Then yes. <laughs> exactly. I think it was yeah. like uh, the Dalai Lama said like relig- uh, kindness is his religion or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it was him anyways, but you know, that, I like that idea. That's very, that's very cool. Um, did you go through somewhat of a rebellious phase where you, you know, didn't think your parents knew what they were talking about? Like most teenagers? <laughs> that's a good question. You know, I mean, in terms of like the conscious aspect of it, no. Mm-hmm. Like I was never thinking like <clears throat> that I should start <clears throat> taking medication that I didn't need or whatever, right. you know, like in terms of those things, no. Um, but in terms of, um, just wanting to kind of like become my own person and, mm-hmm. and everything. So like, did I, did I start drinking soda to rebel? No. Did I drink soda for fun sometimes? Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but things that they didn't want me to do, mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> like use drugs, right. Or, or, or sneak out, right. All of those things are like things that you're not really supposed to be doing as the teenager, but mm. that's kind of what you want to do. Cause you're yeah. not supposed to do it. Of course. Um, for sure. I definitely, definitely did that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Did yeah. They- and it was kind of interesting because like being, uh, being somewhat self-aware, it was mm. like, why am I doing this? Like this mm. doesn't, this isn't right. But just yeah. the drive to want to do that. Yeah. Was strong enough to where, unfortunately, I'd be in a little bit of conflict about it, (laughs) but still, but still feel like I needed to do it for, um, I don't know. Just Uh, to know yourself. To know exactly. Just understanding what is this drive and and who am I and what does it mean to not be taking my parents' advice or my parents' orders Mm -hmm. at that age? Yeah. Cause like, yeah, I see what you mean. It's, it's all about, you know, they could tell you everything and you could agree like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Mom and dad, but I kind of still want to know for myself, you know, and and did they have that attitude that that's like healthy or did they actually like give you orders Did they say, this is something you can't do. Or they're like, Aaron, this is something you shouldn't do, but we respect your decision (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) Somewhere in between. I mean, you know, being younger than 18, you, uh, legally hold your parents responsible for, for things that you do. Right. Um, and so be, because of that aspect of it, um, th- they were order, there were orders involved, mm-hmm. but because, you know, there's like well being at stake there. Um, however, the general theme was, um, discussion and mm-hmm. getting me to understand having long discussions so that we're on the same page as opposed to go your realist way that, that never happened. I, that never happened. Um, every single time, even if I would fight back, it was, it was, this is, this is, this may be the truth. Um, and you may not see it as the truth, but we will talk until it's understood that it's the truth, not from force, (laughs) right. But just because they're reasonable and it is true and it was true. And they wanted me to understand on the inside, as opposed to just enforce rules on the outside. Mm, Man, that is so healthy. um, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> um, it, would, it would be uh, and it'd be really fair, but we would always leave the conversation without feeling like we were in an argument, like someone was hurt, right. or like like there was a misunderstanding. We would get on the same page, kind of no matter what, mm-hmm. and um, you know that made it to where never really resented my parents um, 
other other than for things that outside of those conversations that I if I just didn't want to agree or conform or or um, if I didn't want to accept the truth mm-hmm. because I wanted to be in that rebellious stage, then I might have a little bit of like resentment going on. But but other than that, it was kind of like always being on the same page, right? Because mm-hmm. of communication. Yeah, man, that's so cool. Um, what's so. Uh, tell me a little bit about like who you were like growing up. Uh, what did you want to be? Did you have a certain goal that you wanted to achieve when you were younger? And did you thrive to do it? Or, or did you end up changing that? Or, you know, who were you like as a teenager? Like what was your, your life mission, so to speak? Totally. Um, life mission really came into play for me towards the end of the beginning of adulthood. Okay. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I was playing tennis. I grew up playing a lot of tennis and I was on a tennis team. And, and for a while, I really thought about like, wow, what would it be like to just go all in? Because I was, I was pretty good and I knew I could get really good. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what if I was a pro tennis player? You know, that'd be awesome. That'd mm-hmm. be so cool. <laughs> so that was a thought for, you know, a couple of years when I was playing tennis and, and took it seriously and had a lot of fun doing it. <clears throat> um, you know, from there... Um, you know, after ninth grade in high school, my family and I, you know, myself, my brother, and my parents, we moved to Thailand from Arizona. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, that, that took a turn for a lot of things. Um, I was really into cars for a long time, you know, even being really young, you know, driving around, I would be able to recognize every make model and almost down to the year mm-hmm. you know, of the car. Sometimes even with just seeing the headlights at night, right? Be yeah. Like that's a Kia, whatever, you know, and that's so <laughs> One of my friends, uh, I remember when I was like 12 years old, my friend and I were uh, jumping on a trampoline and then we just started to take a break and we were lying down on the trampoline looking at the cars coming like a couple hundred meters away. And every time he see the headlights, he knew exactly what the car was. And I thought he was like magic, man. I was like, how do you know this? This is amazing. But I started to recognize the patterns myself. Like the headlights are all shaped pretty uniquely, you know, but that's pretty cool. But carry on. Yeah, totally. It really shows um, what what our attention and our focus can 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 create yeah. in us, you know. Um, but yeah, so with the car thing, you know, I was really into cars, but um, I left left the U.S. at fifteen, so I couldn't uh, get my own car right away, mm-hmm. you know. And I was playing car video games, and I had like matchbox matchbox cars, and even like cars like this big. Right. Like on my dresser growing up from a young age. So I was always into cars, still am in the cars. Now I can finally drive them, but <laughs> I wasn't until I was 18 till I got my license until st- I started having my own cars. Um, but you know, I talked with my dad about restoring car together at that, at that time, at that age, you know, and how fun mm-hmm. that would be. And I was always just so interested in that. So, um, that was, you know, definitely a big thing. And at, at that age, I just really enjoyed, um, riding on my bike and, and skateboard around my neighborhood and, meeting up with friends to do it and just kind of being out. I felt really free being able to leave the house on my skateboard and just kind of go wherever yeah. and just ride around and, and be on my own two feet. That was really empowering. So I would do that quite a bit um, almost every single day. So that, you know, kind of set the foundation that I like to move and I like to feel free, you know, right. that's yeah. definitely very true for who I am still. Mm-hmm. How long did you live in Thailand for? Uh, two and a half years. So, I, I did um, 10th and 11th grade of high school there, graduated okay. in 11th grade, technically. Um, mm. And uh, from there, I, I started a semester of college 
over there at the only American university in Thailand. Um, you know, and that was a really cool experience because I was removed from the American culture and put into an international culture where there were kids from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like one friend from the U S I had friends that were Thai, Vietnamese, uh, French, Moroccan, Middle Eastern, like uh, just mm-hmm. everything. And, um, we all got to come together in a middle ground without the prerequisite, um, of our culture mm-hmm. to validate us, right. you know, like in, in the U S, um, I can speak on the U.S. for sure because I grew up here mostly. Um, there's a lot of like, you should be a certain way in order for me to accept you going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that, that didn't really work well for me. I felt very not accepted because I wasn't normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And probably anyone listening to this podcast isn't normal. <laughs> and so, you know, in Thailand, uh, in the international high schools, there were kids from everywhere. Everyone was speaking English to, to communicate. But because everyone had a different background, you would relate on things that you could relate on, but you didn't, there was no like pre-qualification, like, does this person have this type of swag or this type Mm. of attitude (laughs) or this type of perspective? It was like, everyone could come together in a little more of a neutral way. So that was really, really healthy. That really helped me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. That's totally different from the regular high school setting where you have oh, yeah. to be something in particular in order to be accepted. Very, I kind yeah. of got to avoid that as well. Um, growing up, I always seen it, especially uh, like on television and stuff like that. I expected that's how high school was going to be. But I don't know if it was just like our particular group of friends or something like that. But when I was in high school, like my grade 12 graduating class, it seemed that everybody was friends with each other. Like um, we all, like there was different cliques. Don't get me wrong. There was the jocks, there was the punks, there was the scene kids, you know, like there was all these different things. There was the musicians, the nerds, but we all hung out together. We all went to the same parties. And I think that's one thing that really brought us together is because when I was in grade 10, a friend of mine used to have open house parties that were huge, like hundreds of people would go (laughs) and it would be everybody from high school. Like there wasn't anybody that wasn't allowed there. So, uh, everybody got drunk together and had fun together and got to know each other. So then when we were in high school together, there was a lot, it was a, it was a lot more friendly environment, even though you may be, uh, a jock, you might have a friend who's every other click, you know, there was no real segregation. And I thought that that was something that was like over, you know, I was like, that's a thing of the past. But then I had some younger friends. And then a little bit later, I, when I was like 18 or 19, I would still talk to some of my younger friends who were just in grade 12. And they would tell me that the clicks are ridiculous and you don't like jocks don't hang out with musicians and so on and so forth. And there's this big rivalry between all of them and nobody likes each other. And I was like, Oh my God, that's terrible. Like, I feel like I, I got out of high school right at the opportune time, you know, because it seemed to just get worse and worse after I left. But I don't know. It could be uh, the fact that our, honestly, I attribute it to a lot to the fact that my friend had those parties and brought people together because we all got to know each other and we all found common ground. But to be able to go to a high school where literally there's no criteria for you to fit in, it's just, you know, be yourself essentially. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, definitely. I, I really think that that would be a really nice thing to bring to uh, our culture in the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah, uh, in every world. culture. Any, any, <laughs> any Western place really i mean anywhere that's experiencing this and and, you know i mean in thailand if you were to go to the local high schools they might have the same issue right i just Mm -hmm. didn't see it for myself Um, right right you know Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah. So after all this, uh, well, what made you steer away from the the tennis idea? Um, you know, just moving to Thailand yeah, um, okay. kind of changed it. Um, you know, I did play a little bit and took some lessons at one point for a short bit, but it just wasn't quite in the same flow. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a social thing and a family thing for me in, yeah. in the U.S. Uh, I was playing with my family and my friends. Right. I was on the team yeah. with my friends. Um, and in Thailand, I did know a couple people that played tennis once in a while. Um, it wasn't as easy to go to a court. Um, it wasn't, there wasn't quite the same access. And a lot of the social things going on where it's a little bit more of like social chill gatherings and party type of gatherings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit of a different culture and lifestyle that I kind of just stepped into with the friends that I made. And, um, you know, like at school and stuff, I'd play, play basketball and things like that. It just wasn't quite in the culture. I was kind of stepping into a different way of life, uh, with everyone around me. And, um, I just didn't really take it with me for whatever reason. I didn't feel like I needed to. I was really enjoying right. everything else that I was experiencing. Mm, yeah, I see what you mean. And I, I, I find I'm the same way in a lot of ways, like in the sense that a lot of the things I realized I loved, whatever those things, experiences, activities were, a lot of the time it was because of the social aspect. Like a lot of my friends are, quote, gamers. They love video games. And I would have considered myself a gamer at one point. but I never really cared to play video games by myself. I started to realize I was like, I don't care if I'm, if I have the option to play video games or watch TV, I'm going to watch TV. But if I'm with someone and they want to play Halo with me, I'm pumped about it. You know, because Uh for me, like me and my friends were obsessed with the Halo two, Halo three games. And the funnest part was when we'd all get together, we'd have like the link cables so we could have two Xboxes on the go. And, and we would just do it for like 10 hours straight, just killing each other. And like, talking shit to each other. It was so much fun to have that togetherness and camaraderie. But when that wasn't available, I was like, it's not as fun without my friends. You know, that it was a big social thing for me. It wasn't so much the games itself. It was just a way to, to really let loose with some of my buddies. Right. Mm -hmm. So what did you, uh, what did you study in that American college that you went to? Yeah. So, um, you know, I was there for one semester in, in Thailand there and it was, um, I chose the route of media communications. Mm. So, um, you know, I learned a little bit of photography, videography, um, you know, and at that point it was a lot of, a lot of base classes. So I didn't get deep into the art of those things. Um, you know, just things that I had to be in, I was in a Thai class and, a in a, a couple other, you know, foundational college level things. Um, you know, what I learned the most from was actually, living in Thailand, um, as opposed to the school itself, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You know? <laughs> I yeah. think that's often the case with, with schools, unless you're super into it, but you know, I really you know, I started living on my own in a, in a dorm. It was actually a hotel that doubled as a dorm for the, for the college. And it was just beautiful view out the balcony. And, um, you know, I, I had a, I rented a motorbike, um, to, to drive around the, the town. It was a, it was a beach town that we, I was in for the college. And, um, I think I learned the most from like what it meant to, or what it was like to experience kind of a, a new sense of freedom and ability, um, you know, in Thailand as a, uh, someone who's, who's white, I, you know, you don't quite fit into the culture and they don't quite bring you into the culture. Mm-hmm. So even if you're a, a, a white man or a Western man, 
and you marry a Thai woman and you are now connected to her family in some way, they, you don't quite assimilate all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, what that felt like was living in the wild West where I wasn't looked at and being judged. I wasn't looked at and really like no one really cared. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't an issue. Um, right. You know, the, the, the biggest, the most frustration that there was in terms of um, a cultural thing was going to the markets and then wanting to sell things to you for too expensive because you just don't know um, that uh, it shouldn't be that price. Okay. That's, that's really, that's almost about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really my experience, what I learned <laughs> there in that college was just the sense of freedom that existed there. Um, right. You know, going out in the public and where people understand you and you're in the same culture, there's, 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 uh, there's more judgment, like looking at, at you, like, is this person worthy, you know? And mm-hmm. that, that wasn't really what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and being, being that age, you know, being 17 at that point, it really just made me feel like expansive and like, it, it just changed my perspectives a lot. So I'd say that I learned, I learned that the most. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So you didn't uh, take a particular, quote, major in order to get a certain career or anything like that? Well, the major was called media communications. Yeah. Um, I ended up going to uh, a college in a university in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of media communications, I chose communication, okay. which was focusing more on me communicating as opposed to working with communications as an art form. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so, yeah, so both of them, you know, were representative of me wanting to express really mm. at the end of the day. Very cool. um, I did complete two years of college did up. Well, I dropped out after my first year, technically mm-hmm. during, I dropped out, went through the summer, not thinking I was going to be going back to college. Some things kind of turned around in my life in a different direction. And I decided to go back again, spent another year, but this time in Arizona. And I found that uh, the, the way that I was being taught to communicate better wasn't actually serving me. It was very like, we're going to enroll thousands of kids into this program, even though everyone's different and teach them the same. Mm. That doesn't, that didn't really work for me. I found myself um, skipping class and working in order to make money for my travels that I was going to be doing. Um, So I found out that it wasn't relevant to me for whatever reason. It just didn't feel relevant to me to, to go back. And I didn't, I just continued to live from traveling and working and just kind of like feeling things out for myself. Um, and then I did find myself enrolling into a different type of schooling program for yoga and body work and mm. more spiritual studies um, at a different school down the road when, when I felt I truly called, you know, from my own right. volition and not from what I thought was supposed to happen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really cool. So you actually, you actually studied yoga and body work. Yes. Yeah. So for about a year and a half, um, the program was about a year and a half and I, I, I signed up for a yoga teacher training and that turned into uh, an advanced yoga teacher training and also training and being therapy, um, which yes, I, I didn't hear what you said. You glitched out. So, uh, I, I the last thing I heard was you signed up for a, a yoga teacher training and then what? Oh, great. So Signed up for the yoga teacher training, and I was looking at all the programs that the school offered. Mm-hmm. And I ended up picking this um, 800-hour program that included, you know, your yoga teacher training, advanced yoga teacher training, and then I got to pick electives. 
And within those electives were all different forms of, you know, body work, energy work, uh, nutrition, herbalism, things like that. Mm-hmm. And what really called to me was um, this modality called craniosacral therapy. Craniosacral. Craniosacral. Is that, is that like a connection in a sense between two chakras? It is, um, in a way, it is um, craniosacral. The craniosacral system is your skull, your brain, and your spine, your nervous system along your spine. So basically, if you were to remove your limbs, mm-hmm. what would be left um, is kind of the core foundation of, of who we are with mm-hmm. our nervous system and, and our, our electrical being, this head and our spine going down to our, uh, our sacrum. Right. Um, and so the, the work is very, it's hands-on, but it's light touch. And basically the practitioner is tuning in to the person's nervous system. Mm-hmm. and the subtleties of what's going on. Um, and, and then there's the cerebral spinal fluid, which is going around this whole system. And it's kind of like our second blood. It's like our life force blood, right. um, uh, etheric life force blood. And it's, uh, it can get kind of uh, blocked or slow or stuck in certain areas. And this modality gets that flowing at a, an even relaxed rate, right. if you will. Um, and then that really just sets the stage for a deep healing, a nervous system healing. Um, and that really called to me because it's what I needed for my system mm-hmm. at the time. And so going into the program, you know, it was really cool because I was able to dive into yoga and moving my body and also tuning into the space and myself and, and with other people's bodies that I wanted to go into. So while I was learning these things, it was like, directly related to my life path and my spiritual path. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for me, that's what school should be about. Uh, something that's very relevant. And at this point in time, um, that set the foundation for who I am and who I've come to be, who I've created myself to be, but also just who I naturally am. And I really appreciate that there's, there's schooling. I was actually able to get, uh, you know, government assistance funding like people do for college for this program because of how the school legally set itself up. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, I, I didn't choose the traditional college route and I chose something that I could learn that furthered my self inquiry and my external inquiry into the world of how I want to serve other people. Right. Very cool, man. Mm-hmm. So like that now, um, the work you do now, I like, I've recognized some of the things you do just from looking at your pages and stuff like that. So, uh, is all the work you do now, like what you actually do to keep, you know, food on your table kind of thing. Is that, so, uh, yeah. Is that all related to things you've studied in that area? Great question. Um, it could be, but it has not been. Okay. I have okay. not made it that way. Um, mm. I kind of wish I have honestly, mm. because, um, as soon as I was out of that program about a year, about a year ago, actually, um, I, I could have done that and I took some action to do it. And ultimately I just didn't believe in myself enough. Mm. You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy and I felt a little bit, um, insecure about that and bringing myself into the, the world of, of teaching yoga and doing, and doing body slash energy work for people. I felt a little bit shy to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and that's okay. You know, I'll, I'll get there. Um, I definitely could have been making, been, been putting food on the table with it. 
you know, for a while I was teaching some yoga classes. Um, and at one point I had a client for craniosacral therapy and, and things like that. Um, but it never really put food on the table. I've been working in, um, I've been working in the restaurant industry for a few years. Okay. Um, and that's how I, you know, have been funding myself basically since I, um, became an adult right. and, uh, it's very satisfying for me to move my body and talk. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've been, I've been comfortable yeah. in a space that, um, that pays the bills and allowed me to go through school and live life well and enjoy right. myself. Um, and uh, you know, I just, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to psych myself up to transition to, to putting a food on the table with, with yoga, with, with body work. Mm-hmm. And, um, didn't, <laughs> not yet, not yet. And that's yeah. totally fine. I'm in an interesting transition point now with the lockdown situation because there aren't really restaurants to be working in. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of shifted some things and just really helped me kind of dive into my craft more and look like, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? Um, what's, what's interesting is I saw a couple of my friends transition from working in a restaurant to, you know, making, making some good money with teaching yoga privately, um, things like that, and just spending more of their time on that. And I was really proud of them. You know, I think it's really amazing. And I kind of wish I wanted to do it myself. I think I just felt, have felt very young Mm -hmm. and I'm like still working through that with myself. Like, you know, I have wisdom for my age, I suppose, but it still makes me feel uncomfortable. Like, do these people trust me? Like, am I good enough? Am I, Mm, of course, am I, real enough, you know, and that's, that's not even just an age thing. That's a, that's a whole lifetime. Tell you from 31 years old, it still exists. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. Well, it's the humility you gain when you realize that you're not anything special, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're just part of everyone. And so like, you know, for me personally, uh, I've been, you know, sharing advice and giving advice since I was like, I don't know, I can't even remember how young I probably goes back to when I was like 12 years old, you know? Um, but I've always questioned myself and like, you know, who, who am I to tell people what to do kind of thing. So, well, now my approach is never to tell people what to do unless they specifically ask, you know, what should I do? But even then I kind of preface it by saying, this is what I would do. And this is what I think is the best decision, but it might not be the best decision for you. So, you know, but there's like every now and then when I get down on myself for whatever reason, that whole a uh, sense of insecurity that I experienced most of my life comes back and says like, you know, who are you to, you know, tell the, the world how to live, <laughs> you know? So, but, uh, I understand that it's not that it's not telling the world how to live. It's just sharing what I know to be true. And if people don't think it's true, then that's fine. It doesn't, doesn't ultimately matter. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. But it, it gets better. I could tell you that much. Uh, you know, I, so I like, I first started really trying to share what I know to be true uh, roughly seven years ago, and I did it in my own circle of friends and family. Uh, and it's only been recently, in the past two, maybe three years, where I started feeling c- more comfortable about like putting it on the internet and trying to get it out there more. So, so now, like, it, it takes a while to move through all those. For me, it took a while to move through all those insecurities that I had growing up to understand, like, you know, am I actually ready to do this? And not only the insecurities, but my attachment to my own ego and how I wanted to be. Cause when I was young, I wanted to be revered. I wanted to be, you know, looked up to, I wanted to be respected and stuff like that. So when I actually started sharing what I know, a lot of people were 
giving me the compliments I always wanted as a kid saying, Oh, you're so smart. Oh, you know, so much, all this stuff. And then my ego was like, "Mm, that's nice. (laughs) So then I was like, all right, I got to keep myself in check because if I start doing this because it feels good and it makes me feel better than myself or better than someone else, then I'm, I'm in the, I'm headed in the wrong direction. So you you kind of got to, you know, stay humble in that kind of regard. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. That's interesting. It's uh, you know, there's there's got to be some balance between feeling lifted up by the ego and like using that as drive and as fuel in this mm-hmm. world, but also the humility to like not get caught up in it and start to have that become your work. You know, exactly. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah, you use the ego as a tool, right? And it's very important to recognize that it is nothing more than a tool. It is not who you are. It's an aspect of yourself that you use to better yourself in other ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or not even better, just bring yourself back to who you truly are. Yeah, definitely. And the mind as well, you know. It's Mm -hmm. just a tool. Exactly. Oftentimes we'll think that it's in charge. Mm -hmm. And like, oh my gosh, my thoughts. Therefore, my reality is this way, but no. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't really like those thoughts. I'm going to choose something different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I got another question now. I guess like it's you've already explained it a little bit, but I would like to know. I, I noticed that like on your your Instagram and stuff like that, you talk about uh, uh, the gut a lot, like the microbiome, uh, healing the gut, and just healthy modalities in general, like what you can do food wise herb wise uh-huh. stuff like that to really take care of your body. Have you like, I know that you're a race, you said you ate organic for most of your life. So I'd just like to know a little bit more about your health, your nutrition journey, I suppose, uh, how you used to eat. Was it always the same? Uh, was there a point in time where you discovered something different that really made you consider, uh, nutrition or health in a new way? And also like how you use it now. Cause I know that you, uh, you work or you work with a company that sells certain uh, health-based products. So just tell me all kinds of stuff about that. Yeah, totally. That's an awesome question. Um, you know, when we look at the physical experience and you look at your hierarchy of needs that we're all so familiar with, you know, obviously the, um, the food and shelter and physical safety is, is at the very bottom. You know, that's what we really need. And I think that when we don't look at that and we start to just like climb that ladder. I think that the foundation isn't as strong for how, how deep into ourselves we can go. So I think the more we look at what we're eating and the more we look at what's our home environment like, and the more we look at like, do we feel like we have our base needs met when we dive into that and we start to play with those things and tweak those things, I think it can allow for more expansion in, in consciousness and in emotional um, healing and everything. Um, so like with nutrition and food, you know, that's a big part of my life. And um, it's been an emphasis for a long time. But um, I would say that, that you know, my, my emphasis on it is, is comes from a space of like, I want to feel the best I can so that I can do the best I can. And I just want to feel good. I just want to feel right. You know, um, <laughs> and I, I would say I ate all types of food, but mostly organic growing up until, um, 
until I moved to Thailand, that was a little bit of a different situation. I wasn't really as focused on the organic thing then. That kind of wasn't as relevant, I guess. I don't know. I was just eating out more. And the food there isn't as laced with chemical tox- toxicity as it is mm-hmm. um, where I was growing up in the U.S. And, um, you know, certain, certain things are like illegal to put in their food. So you'd go and get like a Snickers bar and the ingredients are like slightly better than in the U.S., for example. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I wasn't really eating Snickers all the time, but it was, you know, just an idea like the food on the street, not quite as like intensely modified or toxic. Right. But anyway, you know, once I, once I moved back to the U S I was still just kind of eating organic, eating everything. It wasn't until, wasn't until, Oh, how long ago is this a year and a half ago? Someone came into my life that changed the way I viewed health drastically. Mm. So at the time I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was living with a girlfriend and uh, she was working at a juice bar. And so it was awesome. She would bring home juice, extra juice, fresh, co-pressed organic vegetable and fruit juices, Mm. you know, and that was amazing. You drink that and you're just like, whoa, I feel great. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what ended up happening is this man came into her work and started talking to her. And it turns out that this man has been eating what's called raw vegan for 20 years. And he started to introduce things to her that um, were very interesting. And they, they hung out a couple times and he was a very magical person, a very etherical figure with a lot of wisdom from 20 years of practicing eating living foods only. And that really changed my perspective. And I, and I met him and started to spend a little bit of time with him and how he would speak and who he was and what his life's work was and his magic. It really impacted me. I think it's the most impacted I've ever been from a single individual. And, you know, he had some YouTube videos and he had some YouTube videos with this other guy in Hawaii. And, and he was almost the same way as this man and just who they were in their essence. And what I could see from them was like astonishing to me. And this was when I was, um, you know, in yoga teacher training and learning body work. And um, I was watching these guys and I felt so inspired from them. I almost didn't even care about my schooling anymore. Mm. That's how impactful this was to me because I was just like, these guys are speaking the truth <laughs> and this feels so good. <laughs> um, and not around dogma of, of raw vegan, but of who they were and what they were standing for. Mm. And why they were interested in eating raw vegan, which is, you know, not cooking things, not eating animal products and just right. eating fresh fruit and vegetables and, and nuts and seeds that come from the ground. Yeah. You know, so I started to eat that way, <laughs> started to eat that way. And I did it for almost a year and a half. Um, <laughs> and uh, I started to look at everything like, is what I'm doing of the light? And, and am I expressing light? Mm. Or am I eating something that is darkness? Or am I expressing something of darkness? So I started to look at the food I ate as a spiritual tool, as opposed to, you know, oh, I want to, you know, just eat these things or it's just not sustenance anymore. It was no longer sustenance. I no longer ate for calories. I I never, never did, but you get the idea. I, I no longer was eating to be full. I was no longer eating to feel like I'll, like have enough like calories in me or whatever it is. I was now eating for spiritual ascension. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And that completely shifted my perspective. So when I looked at a cucumber, I no longer looked at it as, oh good, I'm getting some cucumber in my food. I looked at it as this is life force. This cucumber is everything that I need. And I will eat this fresh, vibrant, (laughs) watery vegetable and unaltered. And I will consume that. And I will be pure bliss and pure light because of that, because I'm not putting anything else in my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, uh, I felt so good. So I, so I got really, really deep into juicing and there's this, something called gorilla milk, which is where you take a fresh coconut, you cut it open, you pour the water into the blender, you scrape out the meat into the blender, mm-hmm. you blend that. And I was also at the time was having, uh, these, um, enzymes that were just food derivatives. They weren't, you know, like changed or whatever. It's just these foods that were powdered that were that acted as enzymes for your body. And what was the other one I was taking? Uh, it was like a probiotic. And I would put that into that, into that coconut mixture. And then I would take this fresh juice of cucumber, celery, apple, ginger, cilantro, parsley, and combine them. And that was called gorilla milk. So I'd have about a half a gallon of that, oh, 32 ounces of each. And I would drink that in the morning. And I mean, that's the most like high I've ever felt in terms <laughs> of just bliss in the right. body, in the mind, yeah. in the spirit. So, you know, I was working at a restaurant at that time. I was, I was, was working 30, 35 hours a week at the restaurant. I was going to school about um, eight to 10 hours a week. And I was eating this way. I was, I was drinking that and I would go to work and sometimes I would work 10, 12 hours straight days and I would take maybe a gallon of juice and I would just, I would just be running around the restaurant feeling alive. And like, if I started to lose energy, I would just go back and drink some more juice and I'd be like, Woo! <laughs> you know, I was like, instead of someone doing cocaine like that, you know, I was like doing juice like that. <laughs> you need a little, so little bump. You need a little bump. <laughs> exactly. You know, and so, you know, I just started to look at everything differently, you know, like the music I was listening to, is this bringing light into my body or is this bringing darkness into my body? Mm. And the, the places I was going in town where I was living in town, is this lifting me up with this light etheric energy or is it grounding me in a dark way? Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it's just really, really interesting because that perspective on food of, of raw vegan, of only eating something, something that's still alive. Mm-hmm. And is not a, a dead animal because that right. would be the opposite of life. Technically, if you mm-hmm. look at it from that perspective, it just, it just completely shifted how I looked at everything. And all of a sudden I didn't think anything was food other than fresh food. Mm. Right. Um, and I understand that all, all sorts of food that people eat can sustain them, especially if they have a healthy relationship to it. It can be extremely mm-hmm. beneficial. Right. Um, but the perspective, what am, what am I getting at here? I'm getting at that the perspective shot me into a different dimension of thinking and feeling and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it took me really deep. It's like, am I consuming life? And then everything was like about life to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just it, that man, his name is Tavis Bradley. If anyone wants to look into him, Tavis Bradley, 10 years on only fruit, not even drinking water. So and vegetables too, right? Water. Wait, that? did you say he doesn't even drink water? He did 10, yeah, so he did 10 years, if I'm getting this correct, if I remember uh-huh. correctly, he did 10 years straight of only eating fruit, fruitarian for 10 years and not drinking water. So he would drink water out of coconut and right. a lot of fruit is extremely water rich, of course, um, but he wasn't drinking other water, only water that's structured through the purity of the fruit, which uh-huh. is growing through the law of the universe. 
I see. And so no, no altered water, no destructured things. Yeah. Um, and then the next 10 years he spent kind of balancing that out, going into all of what raw vegan can consist of being fruit, vegetables, raw and sprouted nuts and seeds, things like that. Even raw honey, which is a, in the vegan world, it's like, well, are you supposed to eat honey or not? Mm-hmm. But the point is, it's just that, um, you know, that was part of who, that was part of who he was, but there's also this magical side of him. What he could do with body work was crazy. Um, crazy. He can do crazy things with body work. And he understands a lot of things that are banned from YouTube and were banned from YouTube years ago that, you know, um, he's not supposed to say, and therefore he's kind of gets shut up by the establishment. Mm. And so he's kind of been an underground person a little bit. And just learning from him just took me to a whole different world. And so I, that, that shifted everything, you know? And so in terms of nutrition, to, to bring this full circle to your question, um, I really like it the most when someone has a happy relationship with what they're eating. Mm, yeah. So like, I'm not really like dogmatic about how someone should eat. Right. I, but I, for sure, I'm going to be dogmatic that you're eating something you think you should eat. Yeah. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's the most powerful combination when you're eating something you think you should eat that is most in line with nature and vibrancy. Mm-hmm. And if, if vibrancy to someone is meat, if they're aligned with they're eating something that's a vibrancy and they're eating meat, then I think that that's an amazing, um, powerful alignment for them in their life. Right. You know, and if someone thinks you should be vegan and only eat raw food and they're doing that, then I, and they truly believe that and that feels right. And that's vibrancy to them. Then I think that they're experiencing a nice, um, a nice course of alignment for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but having an unhealthy relationship with food in terms of eating something you don't think you should be eating, I think it's a perfect time to self-reflect, self-reflect and find a way to adjust your mindset. Or, mm-hmm. or just adjust your actions. Cause sometimes you just have to adjust your actions. Yeah. You know? I, I really like what you say there because it, it really does come down to like uh, the thought and feeling about what you're doing, because you could be doing what you're saying. Like that, that guy does like uh, eating only raw fruits and vegetables, seeds, nuts. But if you're doing it, say, uh, because you want to lose weight and you're hating every minute of it, like, Oh, I'm doing this cause I want to be thin. And uh, it sucks and there's no flavor. The fact that you're having negative thoughts about it is going to increase the chances of you becoming sick from it. But if you're eating, you could eat a carnivore diet, but if you believe that it is exhilarating you and giving you everything your body needs, then you are decreasing the chances of you getting sick from it because you're what like it all begins at the thought, right? If you are having negative thoughts about something and you believe it's going to, uh, or if you believe that it's not what you should be doing, or if you're just not feeling good about it, then you are creating a negative environment within yourself. So it's not necessarily what you eat. Now, there are ways we can determine what's better for you and worse for you, but what matters most is how you feel about it. If you, you know, the whole ritual that a lot of people practice um, it's in a lot of different ideologies and religions is like thanking, uh, someone or something for your food, you know, mm. cherishing it and, and making it as an offering to yourself. You know, like every time I eat my breakfast, I take like a second beforehand to think I'm so grateful for this and I'm going to offer this to the body of Mike 
as something that will build him <laughs> and make him great and feel good. And I always uh, have a, like I really practice a positive relationship with my food in general and it changes everything. So do you still, uh, that way that he taught you um, basically, or you learn from him, is that still primarily the way you eat? Is, is raw vegan still accurate in the description of how you eat now? Uh, up until about a month ago, yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So when, when things got kind of weird with the world and this lockdown thing kind of happened, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I started um, realizing like, hey, not as much fresh food might be available. Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what will I choose to do? And so I actually kind of transitioned myself mentally and physically with other food, with cooked foods um, okay. and animal foods. and um, just started like introducing that. And then I found that I really was enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just kind of went full into it. And, um, you know, for a while during being raw vegan, I wanted to eat like fish or mm-hmm. like, Oh, that potato that I wonder what that's like, or, you know, things like that. And, um, I usually wouldn't really let myself do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of a stressful experience, but I also didn't want the stress from kind of like veering off of what I wanted for my diet and for my life. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was really an interesting kind of like stressful experience. So then I've just let myself be completely free. Now, when do I feel the best? I feel the best when I'm eating very high vibrancy, fresh food. Mm. Um, you know, I can eat a salad that doesn't have anything cooked on it and doesn't have any animal products on it. And my energy levels will go up. My mental functioning will go up and I'll feel light and I'll feel fresh and alive. And I won't feel like I'm having to digest. I won't drop and feel heavy from what I'm eating. Yeah. So when I eat like that, when I have a meal like that, when I have a day like that, I feel great. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it was like when I was eating raw vegan 100%. Mm-hmm. At this point, I've been really enjoying eating things that I used to eat, you know, like when I was younger and things that like are comforting, right? but also just re-exploring like what is vibrancy to me now Yeah, without the limits of don't eat anything that is an animal and don't eat anything that's cooked. So now that I can (laughs) healthily, mentally explore that, then I can physically see what works well for me um, without having the, the bias the yep. mental bias, the placebo effect of, oh, that didn't work well for me. Right. <clears throat> and, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that any, any and everyone should incorporate superfoods into their life. Um, like if that's like a green powder, a greens powder or spirulina, or, or maybe people should eat more salads. I think that's probably true. You know, it's like generally I could say that that's true. Um, mm-hmm. And for myself, that's still generally very true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I really want to answer your, your part of your original question about microbiome in the gut. Um, and, it, and it ties into me having seen that, like, you know, you, you are, you eat. And that's something that when I first heard that as a very young child, I believed it. And it didn't seem like the people around me believed it. Mm-hmm. But I fully believe it now. I think 100% you already eat. Why? Because we're literally taking those molecules mm-hmm. and tr- transforming that into uh, ourselves, yeah. ourselves, ourselves. And so 
for me to want to eat a cucumber, it's like, oh, I'm embodying the essence of a cucumber. It grew out of a plant. That's cool, right? Okay. For me to eat a, a cow, it's like, well, that's interesting. I'm embodying a cow. And then that starts to make me, make me think about <clears throat> if you are what you eat and your microbiome consists of who you are and how your environment is interacting with you and what you're eating is now all of your microbiome. And so do I want the microbiome of cow? Do I want the microbiome of cow energy, cow strength? Do I want the microbiome of cow being stuck in a small area being abused its whole life? Yeah. Right. Or do I want the microbiome of a cow or do I want the essence of a cow to be, to be pumped into myself that was roaming free being a cow, you know? Um, do I want the essence of a vegetable that was sprayed with a ton of chemicals, not treated very well, thrown around and transported to me? Do I want that in my essence mm-hmm. or do I want the essence of the local farmer who farms because he likes it and treats it well and doesn't spray as much toxicity on it? Do I want that in myself? And, and do I want that going through my body and in my gut? So the microbiome, it's like all of our little bugs everywhere, the health of our internal organs and our external organ, the skin, what do I want to be fueling that? Mm. You know, it's like, if you, if you plant your own garden, are, what type of soil will you use? Right. And, and what we eat is our, is part of what our soil is. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, the, the air quality of our home is part of our soil. Um, our relationships with other people is part of our soil. Like, do they bring us up or is it like draining a lot? And, how do we talk to ourselves? That's our soil. And all of that relates to our microbiome because mm. what we see with placebo is that our mind is so powerful that it's literally physically creating things. Mm-hmm. When our synapses fire, we're creating things physically. I, I choose to believe that because that's what I choose to believe at this point. But with that idea, it's like, and that's why it's important to have a healthy relationship with food. If you're eating, you know, like Starburst candy, but your brain is saying, this is the best thing for me in the world. Your body is lighting up, even if there's like uh, artificial flavoring or whatever in it. Right. <clears throat> and so the microbiome, it's like your own little world. You know, if you've ever had like an ant farm or like a fish tank, it's like, that's you. Mm-hmm. And, and how are you going to deal with that in our gut? <clears throat> Okay, so this is really interesting and, and really important. The gut, right, creating is re- being responsible for how we feel in terms of serotonin. I don't know all the su- exact science on this. Mm-hmm. Just enough like comprehend it and be able to share with other people and have a practical use with it. Um, so our gut <clears throat> is responsible for telling us how we feel mm-hmm. emotionally, right. like mostly. And so if you're eating something that hurts your gut, then you won't feel good. If you're eating something that, that helps your gut, it helps you feel good. In today's world, there's something called glyphosate or Roundup. Are you familiar? Yeah. <clears throat> Tell our, this, our listeners. <laughs> yes. So this, this thing, this is a chemical. It's a pesticide. It's actually a biocidic life. It um, is sprayed on crops to, you know, keep bugs away. It's a pesticide, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem with this is that genetically modified food or GMO food uses Roundup um, to, to be its, its, its pesticide, basically. 
and, and people spray it in their yards and people spray it on all sorts of food and, 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 and farms and everything, right? But the issue is that when it gets sprayed, it goes into the soil, it goes into our food, we're eating it, it goes into the water supply in the ground. It also spreads through the air. I've heard it said that only 1% of the Roundup or the glyphosate being sprayed on the, on the farms goes onto the, onto the ground and the rest is in the air mm-hmm. and it floats around. So even if you have an organic farm, there likely could be glyphosate or just out breathing. There likely could be glyphosate. Yeah. So the point is that it's in the food, it's in the water, it's in the air. What glyphosate does is it directly attacks our gut and it destroys it. It destroys our, the villi, the microvilli in our gut, which are, it's like the healthy wall lining of our gut and it destroys it. And that stops our ability to uh, intake nutrients. So what this means is it doesn't matter what diet you have. <laughs> if, you, if your gut is destroyed, you can't process food in a way that actually gives you what you need from the food. Right. And that, that puts us in a very sick place as a population. It's a very big problem. So with this and with the company I work with, they've developed the only, on the market currently, the only thing that reverses this specifically from that chemical in our gut. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's called, the supplement is called Biome Medic okay. um, because it's a, the medic for our microbiome. So what it does is it goes in, it removes glyphosate, it repairs the gut lining and it pop and it repopulates the gut with probiotics all at the same time. So it's kind of like this all in one little like pill that, and it's naturally formulated. It's not like a medication and it, it like strips the problem and it, it re, it builds it back up. So, you know, like if I were to give like one piece of health advice to anyone, originally what I would tell them is just eat food that's vibrant, mm-hmm. you know, and is, is healthy and not, not, doesn't have toxicity all over it. Right. But now if I had to give only one piece of advice, it would probably be to take this supplement. Mm-hmm. And here's why it was found in a, a clinical study, if that's the right terminology, like a clinical, clinical trial, whatever, mm-hmm. that even while still eating GMO food, which is so prevalent nowadays, even while still eating it, taking the supplement removed up to on, a, uh, on average 74% of glyphosate in the gut, wow. which means it's dealing with like three quarters of the problem of us being attacked by this toxin, this chemical, this biocide, it's literally killing us from the inside out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. I mean, it's intense, but you know, if you, if, if, so anyone listening, if you want to look into this, I, this whole idea, uh, you can search glyphosate roundup microbiome gut. Mm-hmm. You can also search specifically about this supplement and that will give you back background information on that and talk about this supplement. Um, and that is called biome medic and the company is called Purium. It's an organic superfood company that, um, is doing, a lot of the world's work right now or part of the world's work right now to preserve uh, the original organic seeds. Mm. And also it's, you know, for example, farmland in Thailand that they, they use for their, um, their food, for their superfoods, they, they outbid Monsanto on those farms. And so what that does is it keeps farms organic, real, and provides business to those farms instead of Monsanto buying them out and turning them to GMO. Wow. To be, able to, outbid, really, to be able to outbid yeah. Monsanto is a pretty uh, impressive feat. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> they, got, they got lots of money. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, the company has been around for a long time and uh, it's just growing and growing and it's a really positive force. You know, it's the, it's the biggest company that I've ever been in full alignment with. Mm. Yeah. I got to look into that because it's, it's hard to find companies that I find myself in full alignment with. Yes. Uh, and like my skeptic mind right away, when uh, you tell me all this, it's like, you know, it, it's common for somebody to say stuff like you said, like uh, the one piece of advice now I would give is to buy the product I work for. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. you know, but like, I'm curious because I want to know more about it um, okay. because I trust that you believe in it and that's enough for me to look into it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, right away, I'm curious, like, because I've, I've seen um, this this stuff advertised on your Instagram and the capsules that you are given. So what what exists in that capsule? Like you said, it, it's still all natural products, correct? Yeah. So it's, um, it's, I wish I had the bottle on me right now. I'm mm. waiting for my next one to come in. I don't have it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but let me pull it up. It's, um, check this out. So right, a lot of wheat is, has a lot of Roundup on it. Mm-hmm. A lot of conventional wheat has Roundup on it, which is the issue, right? Yeah. Um, but what they've done is they've taken a wheat, a, a certain form of a wheat germ extract that does the opposite of what wheat with Roundup usually does, which is kind of attack our gut. Mm-hmm. And it somehow goes in and repairs it. Now the science on this and how that works, um, I don't know. There's a video on it that gave me a general expl- uh, that gave me the explanation, and I could mm-hmm. dig that up and find that. Um, but it's a certain wheat germ extract. So it's so funny because if you're like gluten intolerant, um, then you think, oh my god, I can't take this. You know, I'm gluten free. It's already this is all, all all already an issue for me. But actually, it reverses gluten intolerance. So it has less gluten in it. This wheat germ extract piece has less gluten in it than like gluten-free pasta. And it actually like helps people have, you know, a tolerance to wheat again. Mm -hmm. And and one of the reasons there's such an intolerance to wheat nowadays is because the wheat that's in, at least around the U.S., not, it's not so much in Italy, but for example, but in the U.S., it's so hybridized and so altered. It's so glutinous. It's mm-hmm. become toxic to us in a way that we get fat from eating wheat. Whereas you go to go to Italy and eat their, you know, their croissants and their loaves of bread and everything. And you're like, mm-hmm. you don't get fat. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know that from my own experience with myself and my family, uh, like, I don't know, Jesus, maybe almost 10 years ago. So I don't know for sure today in Italy, if it's the same, mm-hmm. um, for example, but um, and then there's also a probiotic spore that contains like, like millions of a probiotic that like explodes, you know, like you go to the store and get a probiotic and it's going to be, it's going to say it has like this many, this many live bacteria, like 1 okay. billion, whatever. Well, this is like that, but it's a spore for those little things. So it goes right. in there and it explodes. And then it's like a ton of this probiotic. And there's one other thing in there that I'm forgetting and let me just see if I can pull it up because it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and to comment on what you're saying, like, yes, I, I sell, I sell this product and, and why is it the one thing that I would say, because I think it's more important to combat this thing that's attacking our gut and our ability mm. to feel okay and think properly um, more than anything. Because I think if someone has a meat and potatoes diet, mm-hmm. but they're healing their gut, yeah. they're way better off than someone who's raw vegan, who has a completely disturbed gut. 
Right. And that's just where I'm at in my thought process now. I mean, yeah. I didn't used to think that. <laughs> and I might not think that in the future, but um, it's, now. It's, it's what I think now. And um, not everyone likes conspiracies, but I think that there is, is an attack on humanity. Mm. And I think that's one of the big ways that we're being attacked right now is directly our, in our gut and our solar plexus, which is our sense, our space of well-being, our space of mental clarity, our space right. of take, the ability to take action, to take in nutrients. It's like our life force. It's like the umbilical cord was there, you know, in that area. So <laughs> that's why it's like, oof. Uh, so uh, that's very yeah. interesting. And I got a question for you. Uh, maybe you can uh, help me understand this. I haven't looked deeply into uh, the wheat issue myself. Like um, I've been eating, I've been trying to eat uh, what I believe to be more nutritionally adequate for many years now. And people often ask me, you know, do you eat gluten? And typically I don't, but it's not because uh, that I was trying to avoid gluten. It was that just the diet I eat doesn't happen to have gluten. Like the whole grains that I eat are usually brown rice, quinoa, and uh, steel cut oats. So they don't have gluten in them. So, um, so I don't eat wheat. And I find that when I do eat bread, like if it's just like even whole grain bread, I do feel a little bit more lethargic. So mm -hmm. years ago, a friend of mine said that she was uh, giving up gluten. So I was like, you know, I never really looked deeply into it. So her and I actually watched a documentary about it. And honestly, the documentary was really confounding. Like I didn't even know what they were trying to say. I was like, are they saying gluten's good? Or are they saying gluten's bad? Like I couldn't even understand what they were trying to tell me. But from what I did gather about it was that gluten itself and its purest form um, is not necessarily harmful. It's the way in which we've modified gluten over the years of uh, agriculture and, you know, like genetically changing it and, and having it altered in other ways. And that's what's causing, um, I guess, the, this whole wave of gluten intolerance. Um, so would you, it kind of, reminds me of something you said that like it's it's just the way it is now with gluten that it's it's really uh certain wheats are so glutinous where they they never used to be that high in it so is it fair to say that gluten itself is not damaging but the ways in which we've changed it and the ways in which we've increased its availability in certain plants is what could be causing all the damage to people to the extent of my knowledge you know in, in general yeah Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that the way that our wheat is hybridized is toxic to us. Mm -hmm. When um, you say hybridized, hybrid with what? Cause hybrid usually means two different things, right? You know, I don't know. Okay. I don't actually know. Um, I'm that, that, by no means am I an expert in this. I just yep. have picked up on things over time. Um, but, uh, hybridized with, I'm not exactly sure, okay. but it's gotten okay. to the point to where if you go and buy wheat, even organic wheat, it's like, it's not really it's just kind of messed up at this point. And I don't yep. know if it's the percentage, like the percentage of gluten increased, or if it's the actual gluten itself is different now too. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't, I don't know exactly the science on that, right. but what I do know is that that's a huge issue. Like, for example, you can go to a lot of stores and buy einkorn wheat, einkorn wheat crackers or einkorn wheat pasta. And that's E I N. K-O-R-N, einkorn. Okay. einkorn. I believe that's how you spell it. And that's, that's an original seed of wheat. Mm -hmm. That's not today's wheat. Right. That's, 
that's um, um, what's the word for it when the seed is is original and not cross pollinated and altered for our farming nowadays. Mm. I mean, the I know you can cross pollinate like, like modern it's farming, just been but it's preserved like, throughout the years to yeah. remain in its original form. But I'm not sure yeah, it's the original. It. It's one of the original forms of wheat, right? There's okay. different types of wheat: einkorn wheat, this wheat, that wheat, whatever wheat. Yeah. And so this is one of the original ones. And you know, you can go into a Whole Foods or whatever, and you can you can buy this. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, you can't. Not in Canada, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so no. in the U.S., you can. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I, w- I would say so, you know, and, and should someone avoid it in their diet? I mean, I think they should see how they feel and yeah, um, maybe look into some research and research some things like check out which things are hybridized. Like fun fact the bananas that, you know, maybe it's, I don't know what, what type of bananas that you guys have there. I don't know if it varies too much, but in the U S the most common banana is just the one banana that's kind of like long and big. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's actually a ton of varieties of bananas, but right. that banana has been developed in a way, altered in a way, even the organic ones, that it's very, very sweet. Mm-hmm. It's very, very sugary. Yeah. Um, and it's not the same as the other bananas. Like it's like yeah. the, the most subpar banana that exists. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and it's sense. kind of what the whole US thinks a banana is, but it's been changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and for example, with apples, um, they're all been hybridized and changed in a way that makes them for some reason like less um less true to their nature and the granny smith is one of the only heirloom apples heirloom seeds that's what i'm talking about oh the only original apple seeds that hasn't been altered for like our farming purposes or production purposes or sweetness purposes it's like just it's just an actual apple Mm -hmm. that's you know very rough explanations of these things it's really just to kind of spark people into these conversations if they want to look deeper from experts (laughs) that makes sense because like yeah i can see that uh a lot of our food has been uh modified over the years like you know they choose which seeds to keep producing and then they change the species so much that you have a fruit that is sweeter but less nutritionally dense yes and we we see things like uh seedless grapes is really a great example of that most grapes are seedless nowadays um, so that you don't have to ha- eat the seed when you're eating it. Okay. Yeah. You know, so they've been modified for production to sell more of them mm-hmm. because people will eat more grapes and buy more grapes if they don't have to worry about the seeds in there. Yeah. The issue with that is you are what you eat. And when a human is seedless, they cannot reproduce. They don't have the same life force c- capacity. So if you're eating something that is seedless, it- it's, it's, not ideal, <laughs> right? It doesn't seem ideal. If you can't sure. um, plant the thing that you're, the produce you're eating, if you can't replant that, then it's not optimal. And, you know, a lot of it you can, a lot of it you can't. Yeah. So ideally the food that you're eating, you can, you can grow it again from that food. And that's, that's where whole food comes into to play is eating food that's unprocessed is, yeah. is very powerful for the body. It's, it's in its whole form and you can eat the integrity of that plant and yeah. or animal or yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's always my go-to for health nutrition advice. If anybody ever asks me, like just eat whole foods straight from the tree, straight from the bush, straight from the soil, that kind of thing. And now I don't typically recommend, uh, animal products myself. Um, just like I only, I guess I know the nutrition scientific aspect of it. Um, I haven't, you know, I, I can understand the idea behind 
as long as you are, like I said, like we said earlier, like cherishing that which you eat and it, you have the, a good idea about why you're eating, it can have a positive effect on your body. But uh, from what I've studied uh, nutritionally, animal products in general are higher in saturated fat, cholesterol, stuff like IGF-1, which is a, a hormone that contributes to cancer growth. Now, all these things may have a, a basically a negligible effect if you don't eat them in excess. But if you are eating animal products every day for every meal, those things are going to build up and your arteries are going to get clogged and so on and so forth. So, um, but in general, um, if anybody does choose to eat animal products, it's very smart to avoid factory farm type animals because God knows what's in them. There's so much added to their feed. There's so much added to them in general, they get injected. Um, you know, even 80% of the world's, uh, maybe not the world's, but I know it's in the United States, 80% of the United States antibiotics that are sold are sold for livestock because they're in such terrible conditions that they're often sick. So just to keep them alive long enough to get to the point where they can slaughter them, they feed them with antibiotics, which is you know, contributing to antibiotic resistance in people. So there's a million different reasons why you should avoid factory farming. But, you know, uh, that being said, uh, there can, you know, like obviously there's still nutrients in animal products and you can, your body can still benefit from it. But when you do eat it in excess, uh, you're, you know, you're damaging the arterial wall, the endothelial cells. Um, so it, it still seems beneficial to not have it a regular part of your, your daily diet. Would you agree with that? For myself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For myself and my own body and my own experience, you know, I don't, don't need them as often as, uh, some people, uh, do, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, I know, I know people that have <clears throat> gone from being vegan to eating so many animal products each day. It's like, I, I don't think my body would want that or yeah. could stomach it but they're mm -hmm. like thriving, um, in themselves. And, and I honor that, <clears throat> you know, right. if someone is experiencing a state of health, then I, I, all I can do is, is honor that. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think it's so important that when we look at what should I eat, what should I not eat? Mm -hmm. It's not black and white yeah. and that yeah. it's not, <clears throat> it changes over time as well. And I, and I think it's important to experience in oneself, what happens to that, to their state when they eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I was saying, really when I eat that yeah, Go ahead. exactly. So, so when I eat the, the salad, for example, mm -hmm. um, or I drink the spirulina or whatever, I'll, I feel energy in my body and my mind mm -hmm. and my emotional state has a higher baseline. Yeah. When I eat a can of beans, when I eat a can of beans, now that's, that's a, Food that has been sitting in a can for who knows how long. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very stagnant piece of food. Yeah. When I eat a can of beans, I feel that way in my body. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel I feel more dense, not grounded to earth, but more dense. Mm -hmm. A little bit more like this, not like ah. Yeah. And then my mind kind of fogs down. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that I choose for myself to eat certain things at certain times, depending on a result that I may want or need. Right. So, you know, and that, that relationship to food, I'm very grateful to have because 
then I can navigate what I'm taking in based on what I want the result to be. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? So if you're like going into a situation where you require a lot of energy, you might eat a meal with a lot of carbohydrates, you know, whether they be complex or simple carbohydrates, like if you're going to play tennis or something like that, you might eat a a load of fruit with some sweet potato or something. Mm -hmm. And then in another situation where you don't need that energy and you just want to relax, you might just eat some green vegetables or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, and like how I want to use my brain and that, you know, everyone's experience is different, but like for this morning, um, you know, we started at 11 AM my time. Mm -hmm. I didn't eat anything because I was looking at everything and could feel where my stomach was at with food based on what I ate yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even want to drink, uh, you know, greens, greens powder or anything. I was like, Hmm, no, I feel sharp. Anything will alter my brain right now. So I I don't, I don't need that. Um, and I'm just been drinking water and that's a good state for me. And so to be able to live based, you know, to, to, to adjust your life experience consciously is really powerful. And yeah, we can do that through food, you know, or the music we listen to or, or anything. Yeah. Anything you consume. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So it's like you kind of operate from the standpoint of you literally take in what you feel. Uh, so you don't necessarily follow a, a regimen of like, you know, this is when I eat breakfast and this is what I eat for breakfast. This is when I eat lunch. This is what I eat for lunch. It's more like, okay, I'm feeling good now. So I don't need to eat now. Or later on, you might be like, oh, I'm a little famished. I, I might need some fruit. Pick me up or something like that. You kind of go by what you're feeling in the moment rather than following a strict regimen. Yes. Um, cool. It would be impossible for me to follow a strict regimen because my daily schedule is completely random at this mm. point in my life. And it has been for a long time. Um, restaurant industry. I never had a set schedule. I let them change it every single week. Right, and that works right. well for my lifestyle, for my personality. So yeah, that is how I work with food. Um, there are days where I won't eat till two o'clock. Mm-hmm. There are days where I'll wake up and three minutes later, start eating something heavy, you yeah. know, and that does depend on how late I ate the night before depends mm-hmm. on what I ate the night before the day before it depends on my physical activity, all these things. And it's just one of those things. Like when you're moving your schedule around, <clears throat> it changes your needs. Yeah. And so I just go based on my needs. And sometimes it's as simple as like my stomach doesn't feel ready to process more food. Right. Even mm-hmm. if I feel like I'm hungry, it's like, well, I'm not quite like there. Give me like 10, 15, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do so. you find yourself uh, ever indulging in like quote processed garbage? <laughs> um, <clears throat> recently I have a little bit, you know, and it's so interesting because before I was raw vegan and started viewing things that way, mm-hmm. I would look at ingredients and say, Oh, there's only one or two things that are kind of iffy. Like, that's cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then I went to seeing, looking at anything and being like, there's one thing in there that is 99% usually fine, but I don't view food that way anymore. Yeah. And so that yeah. one little thing, no. And I was living that way for a long time and I enjoyed it. You know, it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and now I haven't been treating my, the way that I eat, as life or death. Mm. Um, I've been, I've been looking at life a little bit more like evenly, like the pie is a little bit broken up more evenly. And before nutrition was like 75% of that. Mm-hmm. It was like, I don't care how much sleep I get. I don't care if I'm doing this, doing that. If I'm eating vibrantly for life, hundred percent, I'm good. Right. You know? So I've just kind of just, the, the, the weight has shifted and I've been, you know, looking at ingredient labels and being like, wow, there's like, five things in there that like I wouldn't want to inject into my body. Right. 
<laughs> but I'm going to eat it. Yeah. You know, and then my relationship to it is just different right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it might balance out at some point to where like I, it's like one or two again, one or two things max per label, for example. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going by what you feel, right? Exactly. And if you eat that thing that has the, those five ingredients, you go home and you, you munch it. And then a couple hours later, you don't feel as vibrant anymore. Then you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't eat that again. I, I literally, I, I judge it the same way for myself. Like I, 99.9% of my diet is whole foods. But that being said, like uh, every now and then I'll be at the grocery store and I'll just think I want some chocolate. <laughs> so yeah. I'll get a chocolate bar and I'll still look at the ingredients. For one, uh, I get I avoid animal products because I guess more from an ethic standpoint, I don't want to support that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I it might have it might be different if if it was practiced differently. You know, if you know, I might eat something with milk in it. If I knew that the calf wasn't taken away from its mother, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's stuff like that. But, uh, just to err on the side of caution, I won't eat anything that, uh, supports that industry. So I'll, I'll look at the chocolate bar and you know, the, the worst thing in it is like, uh, cacao sugar or something like that, or cane sugar or something like that. And I'm just like, okay, so, you know, it's still like that processed sugar is still going to have an effect if I eat a lot of this so just take it easy and I'll go home and I'll eat that day. I'll eat half the chocolate bar and then I have no adverse effects. So I'm like, okay, I still feel good. But if I go ahead and eat something for whatever other reason, like say if I'm like cooking with a friend and they want to up the oil, up the sugar, up the salt, something like that, or just even use a product that has all kinds of stuff added, I'll go along with it just because for me, what matters to me is the, the enjoyment and the experience I have with the friend and I can, I know my body could handle one attack of harmful chemicals. So I'll eat it. But then if it has a really adverse effect, if I find the next day, I don't want to get out of bed. Or if I find like I have like this pain in my stomach, then I'll be like, no, I'm not going to eat that anymore. And it's just as simple as that. So yeah, I, I kind of still follow a regimen, not necessarily because, um, it's like a discipline thing. I'm not like, I have to eat this way. It just, it's so easy for me now because like, I don't have to think about my food and I don't care to have a lot of variety. Um, I don't care to have brand new tastes all the time. I've been eating the same breakfast now for like three years and I modified a little bit. I might change the nut. I might change the spice. I might change the berry, you know what I mean? But, uh, it's still pretty much the same thing. And I'm never bored with it. I always enjoy it. I always enjoy my eating time, you know? So it's, it's a lot different than actually being like, I got to eat this at this point. You know, there's no strict, it's just the fact that I don't have to think about it. I get up, I know exactly what I'm going to make. I don't have to use my mental energy to find out what am I going to eat now? The only thing I change really is my supper or you being in States, my dinner. (laughs) So when I eat, uh, every couple of days, I'll make like a stew or a soup or a chili or something like that. And I'll make enough to last me like three or four days. So that's really the only thing that changes is my supper changes up like every three or four days. But in general, it's always all the same thing and it works for me. And then it evolves over the years, like over the past four or five years, since I've been eating this way, uh, I've been making tiny little changes that, uh, you know, that I find like, Oh, maybe this doesn't sit with me so well. Like a friend of mine who is a, who studied uh, Ayurvedic medicine, she told me that she like did an assessment on me and figured out my doshas, I believe they're called. 
And she told me that cinnamon isn't great for me because, uh, you know, it creates fire aspect, you know, and she says that can contribute to like dry skin and stuff like that. And I get a lot of dry skin. So I'm just like, all right, I'll go easy on the cinnamon. She gave me a suggestion to change it to cardamom. And I was like, cool. And I've been eating that. I changed from cinnamon to cardamom like two years ago. And I haven't went back because I actually noticed that I feel a little bit better. I don't feel as dried out and so on and so forth. So yeah, like my diet in general is basically the same thing, but it it gets a little bit modified when I find out new information. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Something that, that came to mind was um, the process thing. <clears throat> you know, because when, when we say like eat whole foods, that's pretty obvious what that means. It's like just the food itself and then yeah. make it into a meal. And then in terms of processing or in processed food, there's a lot of processed food that has like actual like toxins, toxic chemicals in it. They're like, mm-hmm. like endocrine disruptors and like weird things. They're like, yeah. we just don't, we just don't want to put in our bodies. But then there's also processed food, like, like pasta or mm-hmm. crackers made from almond flour, for right. example. And maybe they are homemade crackers made from almond flour. And all you took was almonds and some things like that. Yeah. And so it's like, in what way are you processing the food? Um, yeah. and can that, that can help with discernment of like, am I going to the store and buying crackers? Like, am I breaking my whole foods diet or, or are you not? Well, I mean, you're going to have to, you know, assess the ingredients and how they were processed. Yeah. But, um, you know, and same with uh, chocolate bars, you can eat a chocolate bar that probably is the most expensive one on the shelf. That might be raw cacao bean that was like stone ground you know, and then, and then, and then shaped into a bar. And that might be really close to the whole food of cacao of the cacao right. pond versus the, the Nestle's chocolate, mm-hmm. which is, has additives and processed in a huge factory with like, without love, you know, cause yeah. that's another part of processing. Was it processed? Love? <laughs> yes, it is. That's a big, it's a big thing. I like what you said. That's a really important point to make is that process doesn't necessarily mean bad. I wish there was, uh, there probably is another, a better way to describe it, but I always just say process because cooking your food, warming it up in a pan, that's a process, (laughs) something you do. So that's still, uh, when I speak to people about it, I'll often say, uh, if anything is taken out of the food or anything is added in, that's the kind of processing you want to avoid, Mm. especially when things are added. Well, not necessarily when things are added in because they might be just more whole foods, but when chemicals are added in, uh, things that don't occur naturally, things that we don't consume naturally, that's where you want to kind of uh, be wary of that kind of thing. And then like you have stuff like white flour and white rice. There's an aspect of the germ uh, or of the of the grain in general that is removed from it. And that contains a lot of the nutrients. And the thing is that nature designed it perfectly. It has the balance of the nutrients you need and whatever is the other half. So like if you eat just the white rice, you're not getting the balanced food that works together to create a certain effect in your body. Whereas if you eat the brown rice that has everything in it, then all the ingredients in that work in tandem with each other to uh, elicit a certain process that goes on in your own body that creates the optimal health. So yeah, processing in general is not a bad thing. Um, It it's the adding or removing of certain things that could be damaging. So yeah, that's, I think that's a really important point for 
people to know is that processing, just because it's a processed food doesn't mean it's bad. Like you said, you make almond flour, it's still just almonds. It's just crushed up into a flour. You know what I mean? So, you know. It's like, what, it, what is the process? <laughs> exactly. Tell the process? me what the process is. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, that's um, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, in terms of the brown rice thing, it's mm-hmm. the same with uh, fruit sometimes too. Like for example, an orange peel, mm. like we'll, we'll, we'll just take off the peel cause that's not as enjoyable to eat and eat the orange, but there's actually a lot of things in the orange peel that potentially could support being anti-cancer things like that okay. so of course it doesn't cure it because that would be illegal to say but <laughs> there's there's all sorts of there's all sorts of things um in peel um sometimes for example you know that we don't think about so it's like you know the rice one is is obvious but the orange like are we peeling something off and leaving it behind it's beneficial mm. you know and, and cucumber peel why does the cucumber have a peel is there something in that peel you know, that's, that's, it's relevant to us. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to think about that. Like, how are we processing our own fruits and vegetables? Yeah. <laughs> I've never even considered like, uh, the, the orange before, like only a few years ago that I start eating the peel on a kiwi. Yeah. I thought that was crazy. Well, I've seen my friend do it. He's like, he's like, give me a slice of that. And I was like, here's a spoon, you know, to scoop it out. He's like, I don't want a spoon. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, he's like, I'm just going to eat the peel. I'm like, what? That's gross. And I tried it. I was like, that's not bad at all, man. It's like, yeah, man, why not eat the peel? It doesn't taste bad, but I've never considered eating the peel on an orange. Have you ever eaten the peel on an orange before? I have. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really bitter. Um, <laughs> mainly I've juiced it with, with ah, the okay. or, I, um, I don't want it to be too bitter of a juice, you know, just put half the peel in and, right. and get some of the benefits of the, the peel. Yeah. Is it hard to like chew up and get down your gullet? <laughs> yeah. You know, so I mean, like I've done it to try and, yeah. and for fun, but I mean, you know, you can, the juicing thing kind of solved it. I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Right. I, I uh, a couple of years ago, I tried, uh, I tried eating a uh, raw sweet potato with the peel on it. And that was a bit too much for me. <laughs> I was like, God, this is too weird, man. Yeah. I couldn't handle that, but you know, you know, you cook it, you can leave the peel on and it's a lot easier to go down. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, even like uh, the idea of eating the seeds of an apple, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, there was this documentary that came out in the seventies that said that there's an aspect of, uh, seeds in apples and many other fruits that could be cancer fighting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the defense, like what shut that idea down basically was that like, there's something, uh, harmful in the seed. I think it might be like uh, low doses of cyanide, but, yeah. uh, there, if you eat the whole fruit, you know, if, if you're just eating like a handful of apple seeds, that could be very dangerous for you. But if you're eating an apple for every seed that you eat, you know, the three or four seeds in each apple, then it, it balances itself out. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like the n- nature provides everything you need. If you're going to eat the whole thing, then you're going to realize that uh, it's going to have everything your body needs to balance itself out. But if you eat just the seeds, it could be harmful. But if you eat the apple with it, they kind of counteract each other. <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally yeah and in the seed thing like we eat sunflower seeds mm. but we don't eat the sunflower why is that mm. i don't know it's just interesting there's just seemingly discrepancies all around but i think sometimes it's just lack of awareness of food and in the whole picture that we don't realize like we don't realize we can eat the kiwi peel or the yeah. or the the seeds in the apple we think are poisonous when really 
you know, maybe those few seeds aren't an issue. I mean, I know they aren't. I've juiced thousands of apples with the seeds in them, and I'm yeah. You know, I didn't go. I think <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, like it, it's 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 the uh, it's a lack of information. Like we we just kind of eat what we're told, you know, and yeah, you know, we believe what we're told, which I think is a, a good way uh, to segue into uh, what I want to talk about next. Nice, and, nice. And in terms of timing, this is probably the last question that I have time for today. Okay. Oh. Just Okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry. I have some, uh, I have to get to packing and stuff and getting ready to, to head. Oh, okay. Well, how much time do you think you need? Uh, do you think you have left? So I can just get about 15, 15, okay. 15. Yeah. All right. Well, we might have to extend this into another talk some other time. Cause yeah, I wanna, definitely. I, we can do a part two. Yeah. I'll be down with that because okay, I want, like I've been following, uh, you know, like I've been seeing kind of stuff you've been posting on Facebook and stuff like that. And I just, uh, <laughs> I just want, like, I basically just wanted to let you tell me what you think of everything that's going on because yeah. you are actively sharing information that essentially represents the idea that the official narrative around what we're experiencing right now is not uh, truthful in every way and maybe yeah. not truthful in any way. So um, I seen, like, I guess I just, I'm not sure what question to ask because this could have many different ways we could go about it and it would take a lot longer than 15 minutes. But if you were offered, like, let's imagine that, uh, that this has everyone listening, what would you say to the people of the world about uh, what we're experiencing right now? Uh, are we not to believe what we're being told about what's going on? one of those subjects where um there's a division in the population of the world um on, on viewpoints there's mm. a a violent division of yeah. viewpoints <clears throat> just like the classic theme of republican versus democrat in the u.s it's like you don't even want to bring it up to friends sometimes if you identify with one of the sides because they might be the other side and that can ruin a friendship yeah and I, I think that that's interesting. I just want to say that first because <clears throat> anything that I have to say is purely for critical thinking purposes. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with a judgment on someone or their life or anything. And it has everything to do with truth seeking and doing it to the best of my ability and wanting to share the ability to think critically with others so that we can all seek the truth. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, <clears throat> um, I was 10 years old sitting on the kitchen counter when my father first told me that the president of the United States was lying <laughs> and he showed me how and he showed me what was really happening. I was 10. Who was that old. Bush then? Yeah, it was Bush then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people back then saw the same thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people didn't. <clears throat> and nowadays even more people see that he was lying and still a lot of people don't see that. That's okay. And I don't know the truth in terms of politics. And I don't know, I don't know the truth. I'm just trying to seek it. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So what I'm sharing on my Facebook page about the narrative of what's, of what's going on is based around the fundamental basis that I do not trust the people that are speaking. And when I say that, I'm referring to specific organizations or people tied to organizations or people that are funded by organizations 
that are literally doing evil in the world and have been for a long time, for example, and I can only speak on the US with this one, but it's illegal to say that herbs cure diseases. Mm-hmm. However, I know so many people <laughs> that use herbs to cure diseases. <clears throat> now, as a legal statement, do I know if they quote unquote cure the disease? No, of course not. Do they aid in supporting the healing of that disease? Maybe. <clears throat> but the point here is that the fact that it's illegal to use the terminology that the herbs and foods of the earth heal our body and support our body, that it's illegal to claim that as true mm. means there's something going on here. It's like if it was all of a sudden illegal to say the sky is blue, the sky is blue and it affects us as if it's blue. Colors affect us, right? Blue is pacifying or, or bringing contentness. Mm-hmm. That is what the sky does to us. We look at the sky, we're like, oh, how beautiful. If it was red, we'd freak out all the time. That's why when we see red in the sky, we're like, holy shit, that's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, if there were all of a sudden a governing body, AKA people with guns, because that's what a governing body is. And I'll define that in a moment. (laughs) If they were to come up to me and be like, don't say it's blue. This trigger is a thing. And so don't say it's blue, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'd be like, wow, this is really weird. Like, should I trust this person? This is Mm -hmm. weird. And, and that's what's going on today with so many things. And so, the, you know, I want to define a governing body. The word government means control of the mind. Govern is controlling, right? Ment is the Latin root of mental, mental mind. So it's mind control. And mm. why is government mind control? Because the only way that humans are actually being controlled Humans are being taught to do certain things through their mental processing. We're, we're, we're hearing or listening or seeing how to do something and doing it that way. What reinforces that is physical force. So a general a population will be told by its leaders, potentially. I mean, this is all just general, but so just it's for critical thinking purposes. A population will be told by its leaders that something is true. There's the mental switch. Bam. If they have critical thinking and don't think it's true, then what keeps them in line? Physical force. Why? <clears throat> they'll take something away from you or they'll take you. If they take you <clears throat> and you run, they can shoot you. Okay, so there's the gun. <clears throat> mm-hmm. If you say, okay, take me and you go to the imprisonment facility where you do only what they say, what is the threat of you trying to leave? Why are there guard towers with armed personnel in them? Because they will shoot you if you try to leave. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, if you do something wrong, like even if you get like a speeding ticket and you don't pay it, they take you to court, you don't go to court, it gets worse and worse and worse. Eventually they arrest you. Mm -hmm. You don't pay their fines that go up higher, they arrest you. At the end of the day, it's a gun to your head. Mm -hmm. So it's a very like intense perspective. But in my opinion, that's just actually what's going on. And so, you know, if I can't say the sky's blue when the sky's blue, that's weird. If I can't say that those herbs treat that condition, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And so what, we, what we're looking at today is the same governing bodies that tell me not to say the sky is blue are all of a sudden putting out statistics and reports on something that I can't trust because I don't trust them and they have falsely reported statistics my entire life. 
Mm. And they've told me that I should do certain things that I should not do my entire life. And so why, even though this is a crisis or epidemic, according to their mouths that I don't trust anyway, all of a sudden would I, would I believe them and, and bow down to these concepts? And, and, you know, I think the biggest thing with the narrative that's going on, let's say the narrative is there's something going around that can kill you. You don't know if you have it or not. <clears throat> you don't know if you can give it to someone else, even if you don't show any signs of it. So basically this invisible thing going around, freaking people out, and then there's reports on a ton of deaths, people dying from it. And so the biggest concern that I see with people is they don't want themselves or anyone else to die. <clears throat> the issue with this, in my opinion, is that we don't even know if anyone is dying. Now, that's a really bold thing to say because, first of all, reputable sources claim there's deaths. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I personally have a friend that has, <clears throat> that is, um, their father is uh, like the ICU director or something in California mm-hmm. uh, in one of the hospitals. And they say otherwise. <clears throat> but when you then dig deeper into the guidelines for how they are specifying if someone has it or not, it's mm-hmm. so loose. They can give, they can say anyone. Yeah. Anyone with any symptoms of a sneeze. I've been sneezing. I've been sneezing recently quite a bit. <clears throat> and it's because I was in a house with cats and I'm allergic to cats. Mm-hmm. So if I went and got a test and I was sneezing and had all this stuff and uh, <clears throat> felt kind of sick in my head because I'm allergic to cats and that's what it does to me, then they could say, oh, well, we, we presume that you are showing symptoms of this thing that we can't even quite test for because none of the tests uh, truly show whether it's this actual thing or a different type of uh, thing. Yeah. It's so convoluted when you look into the nitty gritty of it that it's like, okay, I don't trust what they're saying. It doesn't add up to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I don't trust them anyway. It's like, why would I, why would I follow along with this as if it's, as if it's true? Why would, I, why would I buy into that fear? And then you look at what's going on uh, in a bigger picture, if you're into conspiracy at all, which really is just looking at what's happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm then you start to realize that they're asking people to give away their rights. They're asking people to step forward and basically like, you know, take away they're, they're, They want you to give up your normal life so that they can have more control. Mm-hmm. That is what I see as is what's actually happening. Um, you know, the thing that's going around that is affecting people's immune system, I would support a governing body that that spends their billions on increasing the function of the population's immune system Mm -hmm. so that we can naturally and through the law of nature be immune to an issue, but instead they're wanting to spend their money or their resources or their time or their influence on us, telling us to <clears throat> do things that are illogical and do things that actually break down our immune system even more. Right. So, you know, here's an example. I mean, I'm not super well-versed in this, but apparently hand sanitizer, the, the toxic kind, not, not natural ones. There are lots of ways you can sanitize and kill virus and bacteria with things that don't hurt us. You can spray hydrogen peroxide. You can use uh, ozone 
uh, air therapy, been, these are things I've been doing like my whole life. They straight up kill viruses and bacteria within like 30 seconds. And they don't, they don't harm you if you, if you use them properly. Whereas they're suggesting to do things for us to do things to ourselves that actually have negative implications mm-hmm. when the solution exists free slash very cheaply without negative implications physically. And so when, I, when I'm just looking at the whole picture and someone I'm trust is saying something that doesn't add up, that isn't true. And then telling me to do something that I very well know is like not pro-life for my body. It's like, why would I, why, why I just, this just doesn't make any sense. It's just complete. Like, no, like I'm not interested. Like yeah. I'm not going to plug my ears to this situation because it's relevant, right. but I'm not going to sit there and like not say anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that's what you my, mean. that's my perspective in short, you know, trying to kind of sum it up. I mean, I just don't trust them. And if, if you do, then, 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 then I hope that you, that you thrive in the healthiest way you can. But if you take their advice, I don't know if, if it's possible. Yeah. And it seems to be, uh, like expected of everyone to just blindly trust those in power as if they've always done everything in our interest. But if you look, you don't even have to look deeply. You just got to look a little bit at the governing institutions. Well, not even necessarily governments, but just governments, corporations, uh, banks, all those things are corrupt on some level. There's some corruption in the way they work. So to just listen to a statement they make that says, hey, we're here to help you. This is what you should do. Uh, consider it, you know, take it in and be like, okay, that, okay, that makes sense so far, but I'm going to still verify what you say because you haven't proved yourself to be completely trustworthy. It's just like, if you have a friend who lies to you pretty often, but then, then he came to you one day and be like, Hey, you know, there's something to be scared of and you should, you should, uh, you should do this in order to avoid this scary thing. Um, you might think, okay, my friend probably does want me to be safe. So I'm going to consider what he says, but at the same time, he's lied to me a lot in the past for his own gain. So maybe I should look into what he says rather than just listening to him. And the people who are questioning that lying friend are basically being ostracized in our current society. They're being told that they are wrong. And that's that divide you were talking about. Uh, People are literally getting angry and calling the cops on each other in a, a like an Orwellian way, like, you know, you make sure your neighbor doesn't speak out against the establishment. And then if your neighbor does, then you should call him, uh, call the cops and narc on him essentially. So it, it seems obvious to me and to you, it seems as well that we should think critically about every piece of advice that's given to us, whether or not we trust the person or not. Like even if somebody even if somebody you've trusted your whole life tells you to do something, it's still healthy to look into their claims, to understand it for yourself. It's always better to understand it for yourself. And with the research I've been doing, um, I've been you know looking at both sides, as I often do, because I want to know what rings true to me. And the general idea I get is that from the accepted narrative, the, the one that's in the mainstream media, um, is suspect. Uh, I often see them and think, uh, why aren't they saying that? You know, like there's always questions, but whereas when I, 
watch, like listen, watch, or read about something from the alternative theory realm, then I, I don't, I very rarely um, suspect them to be deceitful. It seems that they are literally just trying to share what they believe to be the truth. Whether or not they're right is a different thing. I don't know if they've done their research, but when I watch somebody uh, in the accepted narrative, I immediately think, ah, he seems like he's lying to me for some reason. I don't know what it is, but there's something he just said that doesn't make sense. But then I'll listen to somebody who's in the alternative theory and they'll say something and I'll be like, I, that didn't make sense to me, but he didn't seem like he was lying. He just seemed like, uh, he still seemed like he was trying to tell me the truth, but I just don't understand the science behind it. So that's, I'll go look further into that. And that's what I've been doing. Like I originally watched a documentary, well, not a documentary, but a, a talk like uh, two or three weeks ago that made me really start to question what's going on. And from the beginning, I suspected there was something more because there's always something more. It's never exactly what you're being told. But I still thought that, you know, this very well may be a thing and it very well may be doing what they're saying it's doing. But I still, still suspected that some people maybe are benefiting from it or something like that. But anyways, I looked into what is said to be the science of it. And uh, it seems like I haven't been shown differently so far that the, quote, virus that we're supposed to be worried about was never actually purified, was never actually um, isolated by itself and found to have its own uh, genetic code. Um, the things that our tests are testing for can be positive from a number of different things. Even like so, it's it makes me question: Is that virus even a real thing? Is there even what they're saying it is? Because the tests are testing for something that a virus could give it a positive, but also uh, natural occurrences in your body, um, these, um, these parts of your cells that bud off, off your cells and travel throughout your body. That is a very natural occurrence. They also are giving the test a positive. So you might not even be sick, not even from this virus or whatever, but there's these things in your body that, uh, are induced when you experience any kind, any type of cell toxicity. So you might even just be under physical or, or mental stress and these things will show up in your body. So then that test will detect those things and give the test a false positive, meaning that anybody who is any under any distress, whether it be physical, mental, uh, bacterial, fungal, viral, they could be determined to be positive for this particular virus because the test isn't accurate the test isn't looking for one thing. It's looking for a number of different things. So that alone, like I, I questioned that because I was like, man, that's nuts. Like, is that true? Because that should be known to everyone. So I looked into it and I actually spoke to a friend of mine who is a healthcare professional. And I explained to him exactly uh, what I've been learning about this. And he's like, yeah, that could very well be true. This, this could be a load of false positives for a number of different things. The test might not be actually looking for what they say it's looking for. So from his point of view, someone who is on the front lines and understands, you know, he actually studied, um, you know, medical care. He says that this theory that I've been learning about is very 
possible. So if that's the case, then we can't trust the numbers. We don't know why people are actually dying. And uh, it just makes the whole thing rather suspect. And it makes you wonder what what is the other agenda? What's going on here? <laughs> but to end it on, uh, I guess... Say we're getting that we're getting to that point now where you're running out of time. So, um, how do we deal with that? Uh, how do we rise above that? Because if that's the case, that there is some nefarious institution that is trying to either kill us, control us, take advantage of us in some way, um, how do we maintain our freedom? How do we? How do we? get to where we want to go and not succumb to the fear of not only the virus itself, because that's scaring people. But then if you look past the virus and think maybe they're lying to us about the virus, then you find out that we're being lied to about everything. And then you're terrified of living in this world in general, because the people who are running it do not have your best interests at heart. So how do we live with all that fear and still come out of it and basically do what you and I try to do and create uh, a new earth where everybody is actually taken care of and considered in every decision. When, when one takes self-responsibility seriously, mm. then there's space to realize that <clears throat> we are in full control of our reality and that we are sovereign individually and as a collective of humans and that there is no one in charge running this place. Um, there's just people influencing our perception of our of, of this place and therefore our actions, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we treat each other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, th- I think one of the reasons why the Illuminati is such an elusive term is because we can't tell who's doing what because they're hiding behind a curtain, manipulating the way we think. And that is their biggest tool. And so you know, it's really not a scary place to live because when you realize that you are sovereign and you have self-responsibility and that you are whole in who, in who and what you are and that someone doesn't need to tell you what to do um, in that way, then you realize they're completely irrelevant. And when you realize that they're completely irrelevant and that we're fine living on this earth in communities, as we already are, we already live in communities, that we're completely fine doing that, <clears throat> then all of a sudden, like, we don't really need their opinion. And so if you don't trust someone, you don't like what they're saying, you just get them out of your life. You're like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need what you're saying. <laughs> it's the same thing with this. There's no difference. Um, um, and so it's not a scary thing, but in terms of like, what do I do once I realize that this stuff is going on? Well, you start to take your power back slowly. You, you, you start to look at what are they trying to do or make me do? that isn't in my best interest, what actually is in my best interest? I don't want to eat GMO food. I don't want to inject something that is very dangerous and could kill me or change my brain functioning. I would rather eat things from the earth, eat healing herbs from the earth and work with people directly to receive knowledge and and trade and value and all these things. So if you look at what they're trying to do or what their agenda seems to be, what is the truth of living in abundance on this reality? And then acting that way instead of this way. Um, you know, the reason like TV programming and television and the media exists is because they need us to think differently so that we act differently. Mm-hmm. 
Like, like there's, there's nothing else but what we're choosing for our reality. <clears throat> Imagine if, and, and, and I really only understand the U.S., right, in terms of countries and how they're set up, how their structure is. But so I'm going to use the U.S. as the example. If no one voted for a president, what would happen? If no one paid their taxes to run the government and pay the government employees, what would happen? And I'm talking 70% plus of people just stopped. Well, it wouldn't exist anymore. You know, it just literally wouldn't. It's kind of like if no one showed up to the retail store to sell the things, it would never get opened. It would never get unlocked for people to come in and buy things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why do 95% of companies fail and go out of business? Because no one was buying things from them. Mm -hmm. Governments are just companies. And they need money to flow. And money is life force. There's a money. It's a currency. It's a current. And it flows down the river, right? And there's banks on the side of it that are controlling the flow of the money. If we redirect our river, our life force flow, our currency, then we just choose, we choose whatever we want. We say, no, you guys are completely irrelevant now. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. It's like when you quit a job because you're like, it's a terrible place. He's like, gone, it's irrelevant. No longer a thing. I'm, I'm not even going to show up today. I'm done. Yeah. Or a relationship. Someone's mistreating you. Like, no, I'm done. Someone wants to start a fight on the street. No, I'm good. I'm done. That's it. Yeah. That's all it is. You know, as soon as you find out someone has, doesn't have your best interest in mind and it's a phony situation, it's time to walk away and create something new. Mm-hmm. I think it really boils down to that. And it's that simple. And I think that we need to take responsibility for our lives and look around with our physical eyes and say, wow, Look at all the resources on this earth. If there wasn't someone restricting me, putting up walls, telling me how to do things, what to think, what to eat, would I survive? Yeah, I think so. I know that they burned a lot of books. I know that there's a lot of knowledge that we don't have about how to use our environment, but there's enough people that still know how to use things and that we can, we can figure things out. It's like, <clears throat> we just don't need that. <laughs> and we're growing. Yeah. Those people are growing exponentially, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Power and numbers. That's the biggest thing. There's yeah. a reason that things are divided, divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and in terms of social distancing, like if someone wants to do it, I respect that. Yeah. But to distance socially is to remove your power. It's to remove the energy of the heart field. It's to dissipate that power and spread it around. And we're divided. And that's absolutely the opposite of what we need right now. We actually need to come together and be physically close and start talking to each other and whisper in each other's ears. It's going to be okay. We'll figure it out. They can't hear us. Our phone's across the room. They can't hear us <laughs> yeah. <anymore. laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Our, we, we have the power. Like, they don't actually control us only if we let them Yeah, and we can just choose to be, well, I can't remember the word. I think it's like, you know, passive resistance. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. fight back. You just don't play into their game anymore. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm done playing with you. <laughs> you don't, I don't like your rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not a fun kid yeah. to play with. You always you have to these silly rules that aren't based on reality. So yeah, yeah exactly, man. And yeah. I see it more and more every day. Uh, people telling the truth, more and more people that would have, you know, never even considered that they're being lied to from the government are looking at it and being like, something else is going on. There's something else that's not true here. They're starting to question everything. People, regular people that would have scoffed at anybody who looked into any quote conspiracy theory are starting to be like, 
yeah, I don't know about that anymore. <laughs> so it, it's, it's inspiring to see. I think I really, truly do believe that this is the time that we take our power back. And, you know, I've already taken my own. I don't do anything I don't want to do. <laughs> you know, so, but that's the thing is that we need to spread that outward. You know, yeah. it needs to be known that everybody has their autonomy. Everybody is sovereign in their own right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. man. Very well said. <clears throat> and we're in this together, brother. Yes. Uh, yes, we are. Yeah. All right. Well, I will come to a close now uh, and, and just to end things off, I'll let you uh, say some things, you know, about, you know, plug your stuff. Tell me where people can find you, what you do, what they can do to help you out, what you they can do to uh, contribute to the mission in general. Oh, nice. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And I would love to do a part two and elaborate on this stuff and, <clears throat> and whatever. So um, in, in terms of, Getting in touch with me online, Instagram is um, underscore conscious community and also my YouTube channel, Conscious Community. Um, you know, and if you do want to connect with me on Facebook to see what I'm sharing, then DM me on Instagram and then we can link up on Facebook. Um, otherwise, I won't, won't post it publicly. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so on, on Instagram, you know, you'll just kind of see things that I post. And if you're curious about the biomedic supplement that is going to repair your gut and help protect and heal you from the intentional attack with GMOs and Roundup on our gut, on our thinking, on our well-being. Then, in my link in bio, in the link tree, you'll see something there. You can also just get in touch with me, and I can talk to you more about it. But really, I mean, in terms of your own life and in your own empowerment, start thinking for yourself. You know, start start just taking things in on your own, and you know, you really can only trust someone. <clears throat> if they, if they prove it, you know, mm. and, and so it's the same for, for big, <clears throat> big, big corporations or supposedly trustworthy sources, you know, it's just like everyone needs to be questioned and, and um, trust needs to be built from actual foundation. And even in your own personal life, it's all, it's all the whole thing. You can't trust anyone unless they show that you can trust them and yeah. vice versa. We need to show other people they can trust us um, if we want them to trust us. And, you know, if, if, if a government or a corporation is not willing to show us that we can trust them, then they don't deserve our trust. Mm. So, you know, critical thinking is probably the most important thing right now. Um, <clears throat> and I just really encourage you to, to do that. <laughs> so that would help me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Beautiful. Yeah. Well said. All right. Well, it's been awesome, dude. Thank you so much for being a guest. And uh, I'm sure I think we should have a part two at some point because I'd like to go deep into the stuff that will get us banned. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> great, great, great. As long as we don't use certain keywords, we can just like yeah, right? the strange algorithm of trying to keep us numb and sedated. And I don't know what the goal is. I just don't get it. But anyway, yeah, yeah we'll get into it. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, man. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming.